0: And every sermon on the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness reminds us of three places in our lives where we need to be careful of the attacks of the enemy. And those three places are our needs, our power, and our pride. And then I have had this question in my mind, and maybe you've asked it too. Was Jesus ever tempted after that wilderness experience? Well, if you're a Bible student, you know that when you read the story in the Gospel of Luke, you'll find at the end of the story, Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says these words, The devil left Jesus until the next, next, until the next opportunity came. Mm. And so, I want you to think of other times, if you know the story of Jesus, when Jesus might have been tempted. Situations that would arise, or questions that would be posed, or places that he would be, or people that he would meet, and they may have a temptation of some kind. Just think through your mind, if you are familiar with Jesus, of the stories of Jesus' life, and then put yourself in his place, and say, what would I do, what would you do, if we were tempted in situations like those of Jesus? All these frustrating situations that you come up with are probably gonna be places of what we call vulnerability they're all places we need to guard against when we're tired, when we're popular, when we're frustrated, or even when we're hungry, thirsty, and lacking something else for the body. But what about? Here's a question you may not have thought of. What about when we're not all that vulnerable? We know that temptation is strong in our weakest moments. What about when things are just about perfect in our lives? What about, what about when things really couldn't be better? When things are going really well, you feel like you have the world by the tail. And why is it in those times that still often we yield to temptation? We've often asked this question. Uh, nobody really has the answer. We have a lot of theories. Well, why do well-known pastors, apparently at the peak of their ministry, fall. But, 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 but the grace of God that you and I can both say, there go I. Why is it after we've lost 10 or 50 or 100 pounds maybe, do we gain it all back and, and, and then some? Or when we get a promotion at work and we're making more money than ever before, why is it that the time that we find ourselves filing for bankruptcy? Or at the very least, arguing with our spouse more than ever about money? Why is it when we finally reach retirement and you have a good pension and you're traveling and you're enjoying life and everything's roses, but you make poor choices that apparently will lead you away from our passion for Christ and His kingdom? I'm saying, why do we yield to temptation when things are going so well? I think the answer might be what I'm going to call the first two temptations. It may be a bit of a stretch, but it's like a second phase, at least. It is It is like first and second temptations, like a, a one-two punch. And I want you to pay a particular attention to the details, so buckle up. Take your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever you have, and turn to Genesis chapter 2, and then you'll be right there for Genesis chapter 3 as well. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we're going to read, And the Lord God, can you read with me? And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Let's just stop there. I just want you to take that in. You say, well, I'm familiar with that. I've heard that before. You haven't heard it before today. So I want us all to hear it again today. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then I think there's a verse 17. But you must not eat, read with me, from the tree of the knowledge of for when you eat from it, can I just say death is certain? Sure, I can, because God already said that. Nobody's getting out alive. Then you go ahead to Genesis 13. And I want you to mark in your Bible verses 1 through 13. And if you're a Bible reader, if you're a Bible student, if you get all excited about Bible study, this is one of the greatest studies that you could ever, ever embark on. Genesis chapter 3, the first 13 verses. We're going to take a deep dive now, and we're going to see temptations, what I call number one and number two. So the first temptation, it's a setup. Yeah, the first temptation usually is a setup. And let me just tell you about my life and your life. The first temptation on something that comes to you, it's usually a setup. Let me explain. Most Christians generally, hopefully, don't get caught by the first temptation. At the end of the very first verse of chapter three, if we can put that up, the serpent says, Did God really say you must not eat the tree, eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? I want you to just stop there in your mind. There is the first temptation. It's called doubt. Did God really say? And it's followed very closely by the words, from any of the trees. That's the twin sister of doubt, and that's called deceit. Now here's a great example from Eve, and she handles the question, really. We put all the blame on Eve, but she handled this question because it was meant to defeat her. It's meant to set her up for the eventual fall. But she responds just like She's supposed to. Look at it. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you may not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will what? Die. Die. Notice Eve's response attacks the half-truth That is part of every temptation that you and I, in our lives, will ever encounter. Satan, you see, exaggerates his question to Eve. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? Eve says, of course we can. It's just the one in the middle, we can't eat from. At this point, she's exposing, whether she knows it or not, I doubt that she did, she's exposing the lie. The lie is exposed. She tells the serpent he's wrong because they can eat from the trees in the garden and then look at what's next, she says. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it. If you do, you will what? Here she goes. Here she goes, exposing the lie. Eve is doing what we're supposed to do when we're faced with temptation. She quotes what God has said to her. And so for us in our day and age, it would be, oh, yeah, I just quote some familiar scripture and be uh, be done with it. That's all we need, right? That'll fix everything. Mm. But now having said that, what's wrong here? What's gone wrong? Where has this thing gone off the rails? Is there something not right about what Eve said? Yes, 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 yes. Look at it. Look at it. You have to know Scripture in order to quote Scripture. Hello? You have to know Scripture in order to quote Scripture or you're going to get caught. God never said they could not even touch the tree. And I can't, folks, I can't emphasize this enough how important it is for you to know the Word of God. Know what it really says. Don't be going around quoting it unless you know what it says and what it means. Know what that word says so you don't misquote it and then you try to live by the exposed lie and that's what's happening here to Eve. The devil said, do you mean to say, God said you couldn't eat of any fruit in that garden? She said, we can eat anything in that garden, but we cannot eat of the one tree in the middle and we cannot touch it. That's what God said. And if we do, we will die. God didn't say that at all. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you to know the word of God. See how important it was there at the beginning of of man's existence on this planet? It started right there, and it's still alive today. People quoting Scripture, and they have no idea what they're saying or what it means or what the context is. So don't misquote Scripture, and then try to live a life by the lie that you've just quoted. So it's temptation number one, doubt and deceit. Doubt and deceit. All right, we're still on the track. Be careful, here it comes. The second temptation, listen for it, verse four and five of chapter three. Oh, you won't certainly die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Most people like to land on these words. You will be like God. (laughs) That's pretty popular. And there follows then a message on pride. Oh, pride is certainly the number one sin in all of Scripture. And it's certainly the number one temptation which all of us, you and I, face every day of our lives. I want to suggest to you that while most of us are aware of the big sin of pride and we do what we can to combat that sin, there is a second temptation that has pride written all over it. But it's more subtle. And if we can conquer this temptation, then I think we'll have a control over many, if not most, other temptations that come our way as well. Let me explain. If you look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, you'll see that this was also the compelling, overarching Temptation of Jesus. This was the big one of all temptations. It's the temptation, get this, of knowing both good and evil. Look a little further down in your chapter three, in verse six, it says, she, that's the woman, that's Eve, wanted the wisdom that it would give her. That intrigues me. I I read that over in the last few days several times because I want to kind of get implanted. I want to to think about it, and and I I want to mull it over. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. See, Eve wanted what she didn't have, and she didn't even know what it was. And I'd laugh at it too, but I've been there myself. She wanted what she didn't have, and she didn't even know what it was. I think that is simply amazing. And the reason I think it's so amazing is because I contend that it is a very straight picture of our society today. People all over want what they want and they don't even know what it is they want. And they only want it till they get it and when they get it, they don't want it anymore. Look again at verse 6 of Genesis 3. That woman had her, her whole heart just trained on that thing. She was convinced. In other words, she was persuaded. She was enticed. She was enamored by the beauty of the tree and the delicious nature of the tree, but most importantly, here's the key. She wanted what she didn't have, and that is what convinced her. And I am just as convinced that the rest of the trees in the garden were also beautiful. I don't think one tree outranked another. Maybe the tree of life, I think, would be even more beautiful than the tree of knowledge, I don't know. I'm sure the fruit of all the trees in the garden was juicy and succulent, absolutely delicious, but they were not forbidden. Eve knew what was good. She already talked about it with the serpent. The the trees were good for food. The trees were beautiful. The trees were delicious, <laughs> just like the forbidden fruit was beautiful and delicious. But what convinced her to take it was something she did not have, and that was wisdom. And wisdom was something she didn't even know about, so she wanted it. I'm convinced that much of the weakness and uh, weakness and this endemic of weakness among believers today is wanting something we don't know about, wanting to know both good and evil. Wanting to participate in both good and evil. My friends, we are living in a time when people want to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, wherever they want to do it, and with whom ever they want to do it. We're living in a time when we want it all. We don't want some of it. We don't want a piece of it. We don't want some meager little part. We want it all. We're living in a day and age when people want the security. I love this. The security of their religion, whatever their religion may be, but they also want to change and modify that religion to suit their own personal taste and lifestyle. Save me from that. We want what the second temptation offers. We want the knowledge of both good and evil. Oh, shame. We want to be called Christian. We want to believe that we're really Christian while we're often still hanging on to the sinful lifestyle that only the world offers. So we want to be saved, and we want to let people know we're saved, but we don't necessarily want to be holy Saved, yes, holy, mm, not so much. Let's go deeper. I said we we're going to deep dive. What the second temptation does is very simple, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I want to keep it where we all can get it. What does the second temptation do? What it does? Number one, it distorts God's word. The devil says, Well, you won't die. You won't die. Hey, but that's not what God says. It's not what God has said. You see, that makes God appear harsher than what he is. The devil says, well, God knows that your eyes are going to be open, so I guess God's not really as good as you think he is. He did it with the first temptation, too. You really can't eat of any of the trees in this beautiful garden. While I mean, wow, that's, that's pretty mean, isn't it? Really? Huh? That's an awful burden you have to bear. I mean, God's keeping a secret from you. He's keeping you from knowing everything, and he knows something you don't know. And listen, that doesn't seem at all fair, does it? The devil will always try to make you feel like the Christian life is a a burden to bear. The cross is too heavy. The price is not worth the effort. So we say, and we have all these excuses, and I guess we've heard them all. So my, my parents won't let me fill in the blank, blah, 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 blah. Oh, boy, my church wouldn't like it, boy, if they knew, if I can't. Oh, no, if I did, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian, so I can't fill in the blank. It doesn't take very long once we start thinking that God isn't all he says he is to yield to whatever temptation lies before us. The second thing yielding to temptation does, it leads you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. Adam and Eve saw their nakedness. They were ashamed. So they sewed leaves together to cover up. They didn't need to sew before this. Here they were now, spending their time engaged in an activity that they wouldn't ever have had to do. Interesting, those two words. Naked and afraid. Genesis 3.10. There's a fine title for a sleazy reality series. (laughs) Reality, please. They are spending their time in sowing instead of in what God had for them to do, enjoying the garden, enjoying each other, enjoying the fruit of their labor, and uh, naming animals and walking with God together, etc. Now people of the 21st century, the choices that we make today will determine our activities oftentimes later in life. And if you're younger, then I mean by th- what I mean by that is every temptation you yield to now, the devil will try to use further on I'm just hoping that you'll be strong enough to withstand and that will not take hold in your life, but it will try to remind you of and try to make you feel ashamed. You'll need to spend more time and energy in keeping your thoughts under obedience to Christ. And, and, and Christians who don't have those types of memories maybe don't have to spend their time there, but they still have to work at growing in grace and in their knowledge of the Savior. They probably have their memories. They probably have memories of things in their own lives. If you've never said an unkind word, you don't have to replay the words you've spoken, trying to forget the look on the person's face that you hurt. If you've respected other people's property, you'll never have the memory of the damage you've done and disappointed look of those you love. If you don't gauge in the activities you know are not pleasing to God, you won't ever have to spend hours praying that God would help you purify your thoughts. And the third thing that the second temptation will do, it will cause you to miss the blessing, or blessings could be multiplied. Just imagine what those blessings were for Adam and Eve, the cool evening breezes, the presence of God right there in their lives, and the presence, by the way, that now they were hiding from. And also, the second temptation will cause you to start to lay blame. If you go down to verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, "Uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, blaming someone or something else, someone or something else, (laughs) is just an excuse for not taking responsibility for our own actions. Probably you've all heard the classic. Well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> My parents didn't raise me right. I came from a dysfunctional family. So did I, and so did everyone else in the room. Every one of us did. It's called the human family. Oh, I've got so much peer pressure. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite. Everybody else is doing it. And then, Adam, what do you have to say? Verse 12. The woman you put here with me. And I, I like to emphasize, as a matter of fact, I circled it in red. The woman you put here with me. And then the serpent, that serpent told me. Oh, The only one I feel sorry for is the serpent. He had nobody to blame. Do you know that nobody can make you do anything unless it's physical oppression? Nobody can make you do anything that you don't want to do. Just think about it. Finally, yielding to to temptation will also make you want to bring other people with you. Verse uh, 6 says, She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. See, you will always try to engage others in your misguided behavior so that would make you look better, at least in your own sight. So how do we deal with this temptation stuff? How do we deal with this? Well, first off, no more excuses. Understand that as human beings, we have appetites for things like food, and power, and money, and sex, and popularity, and prestige, and so on, and so on. And these appetites are not wrong, and they're not wrong to have, but we need to be able to control them and keep them in a healthy way. I know I didn't need to eat all the leftover Halloween candy on November 1st. Yeah, but for some reason I wanted it, and the reason I wanted it, it was there. But listen, before you laugh at me, the fact is that I ate that candy, and it's not because there were no kids at my door on the night before. That has nothing to do with it. It's not because we know Halloween comes every year. Eating it is totally and completely was and is and ever shall be, world without end, amen, my responsibility But now listen to some really good news. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful, Paul says. You agree? God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond or above what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wow, aren't you glad God provided a way of escape for us? Yeah. God provided the way. We sing that. He will make a way, waymaker. We just have to walk in it. Walking with him. He's not nearly as interested in how high you can jump as how straight you can walk when you hit the ground. We have to walk in that way that he's provided. And how do we do that? Well, I'm going to come back and use this point. Secondly, we need to know the word of God. I may have said that before. Don't make the same mistake Eve made. Know what God says. Don't add to it. Don't change it around. Don't leave things out. Don't misquote him just to justify your own desire. Remember God's blessings. God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Always keep in your rearview mirror a few of the blessings of God that, that He's provided for you that will keep you on track for moving forward so that you can a good vision from the windshield and good reminders from the rearview mirror. Be content with what's good. You don't have to know what's bad in the world. Matter of fact, I think we'd be a little better off if we didn't know all this stuff is just out there and it's being celebrated, sad to say, and it's being normalized, whatever that is. Be content with what's good. You don't have to know what's bad in order to know what's good. Be content with that and leave the bad alone, someone said. Okay. And a the third thing we do as we're going to deal with this temptation stuff is we need to enjoy our blessings. When God gives you a blessing, enjoy it to the fullest. Don't be burdened with guilt over your blessing. The blessings that God has given you, maybe he hasn't given someone else, but that shouldn't cause you to feel guilty. Be generous, be helpful, be courteous, be encouraging, and then enjoy what you have. Enjoy your blessings. And then the next thing that I want to say in dealing with this whole idea of temptation is again found in Paul's writings, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And this is so important. He says to be humble, thinking of others, or uh, one translation says value others as better than yourselves. Thinking of other people ahead of yourself, putting others above yourself, helping to resist temptation. Think of others as better than yourself. That's an exercise that'll keep us busy for quite a while, and we need to work on it. And then I want to kind of sum it up. And I can sum it up in two words that I think will resonate Obey God, Obey Him. John chapter 6, verse 38. Obey what he says and you'll never have to worry about yielding to temptation. Jesus when he was on earth perfectly obeyed his heavenly Father. John 6:38. Why? Because of the great love he had for the Father and also the great love that he has for you and for me. Love is not complete without obedience. Love is not complete without obedience. And I want you to always remember this. When faced with temptation, temptation itself is not sin. Only yielding to temptation is is sin. With that, I want to leave you with the powerful words of a man who wrote 155 years ago, a man by the name of Horatio Palmer. He penned these words. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight faithfully onward, dark passions subdue. And look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. To him that overcometh, God giveth a crown. Through faith we shall conquer, though often cast down. He who is our Savior, our strength will renew. So look ever to Jesus, He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you and he will carry you through.